down to talk with Ashley Hayes, who is a lecturer here at the University of Southern Maine within the Department of Technology. She also works with the Husky Hackers as well as the faculty coordinator. Hey, guys. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So it's a pleasure. Of course. Um, so our first question of the day is that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got it to where you are today? Sure. Um, I'm a USM graduate uh, from 1991 uh, with a degree in elementary education and a minor in computer science and mathematics. And so I went through, I don't know, probably three or four years within that kind of a role and profession, um, teaching and coaching. And then I decided to go back to uh, school to get my master's in technology education. Um, after I did that, I became a technology coordinator at um, MSAD 52, which is in Greenleeds and Turner, Maine. Um, there, my main focus was um, the curriculum, so imparting how we're going to teach students, as well as training adults. Uh, I also then had to do the flip side of that, which is all of the budgeting and maintaining of all of the technology within the district. Uh, the district had seven locations, over a thousand devices. Um, so that took me out of teaching for a while. So I was in that position for around five years. And then I decided that I really missed interacting with um, students. And so I decided to go back into teaching um, and I landed at uh, Central Maine Community College. And there I got to um, instruct um, older students, obviously. So I was able to use um, more technology conversations. Um, I was able to kind of mesh both my um, experience in the workplace and my education and my love of teaching. Um, I was there for, I don't know, probably 15 years. Um, for the last 10, I was also a department chair, which once again got me into the budgeting and maintaining of technology. So um, CMCC is where I kind of became interested in cybersecurity. Um, we got a multi-million dollar grant. And so I was afforded the opportunities to take many courses and uh, I got certifications uh, within uh, the cybersecurity area and computer forensics. So I was able to get my Security Plus certification as well as my um, ENCE, which is a NCASE certified um, forensic examiner, as well as my advanced smartphone forensics certifications. Um, after 15 years there, um, I decided that perhaps I wanted to have another challenge in my life. And so I decided that uh, USM might be a good choice. And so when I saw the position, I thought it would be a good fit. And then um, after interviewing here, I decided that it was the right position for me. And so I made the move to USM. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess um, let's go into kind of the meat of the interview. Um, we're here to tell you to talk about ethical hacking. Uh, so I guess just going to start off, what you know, what's your kind of definition of ethical hacking? Yeah, uh, I would say that ethical hacking really is, you know, when someone utilizes uh, similar and sometimes the same tools as unethical hackers, and they're there to establish vulnerabilities um, that an entity might uh, possess. 
All right. And so they're hired by the entity. They um, look for vulnerabilities. They exploit those vulnerabilities. Um, they then actually produce a report. Uh, they document everything that they did, how they were able to exploit those uh, vulnerabilities. And then they also explain how to mitigate those. So how are we going to change your security posture so that you are now protected and that you do not um, have the opportunity for uh, threat actors to exploit those vulnerabilities in a real world scenario? And so uh, an ethical hacker really is there to um, help an entity become much more secure. Yeah, I mean, and this would be, because I know the more common phrase, definitely pen testing would be sort of what ethical hacking is. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the focal point of ethical hacking, for sure. They are usually hired to do a pen test. You can hire them to do other things as well, but really the focus is pen testing and getting those exploits and reports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just wanted to m- just make that because I think a lot of people too, when they hear about that, you know, they'll probably immediately think pen testing and such, but it definitely is much more than that. Yeah. Um, so on top of that, um, how did you first get introduced to ethical hacking in the first place? So I was first introduced to ethical hacking at Central Maine Community College um, from the grant that we got that really focused on security and forensics. And the goal really was to really try to produce students who can go into all of those uh, careers and jobs that are open currently um, within cybersecurity, security, and forensics. So the grant was a government grant, and I was able to um, take some courses. Awesome. I I guess um, especially too I feel like um, another phrase that I'm I'm somewhat familiar with but I'm not hundred percent so I didn't know if you could explain more about what forensics is. Computer forensics really is uh, the ability for us to find information on computers um, that people are trying to hide. So um, perhaps they want to say that they didn't download that uh, child pornography or they did not. Um, write that email. Well, there are ways that we can utilize software uh, to bring back some things that they may have tried to hide or delete. And so that really is um, computer forensics, uh, a very basic definition, obviously. There are other areas for forensics as well. Um, so you can do network forensics, mobile forensics. The process is similar, but it's a little different. Um, there are little tweaks in each of those. Uh, back to ethical hacking, uh, why do you think um, it's sort of a necessary thing to have um, as our society advances? I think if we look at it, um, almost all businesses utilize some sort of technology in some way. Um, and so any business that's utilizing technology has some sort of attack surface. And along with that comes vulnerabilities. And so, you know, there there's misconceptions out there that... Um, security officers or IT administrators, you can defend your own network and um, know all the vulnerabilities that are out there on your network. It's really not the case. Um, And if you're in a position like that, um, sometimes we can say, oh, well, I know that's a vulnerability, but they can only access X, Y, and Z, something that's really minimal, that's not going to harm the business at all you may take that as something you can accept and that 
somebody cannot access further. However, if you hire someone like an ethical hacker who has other tools, has other experiences than you, they may actually be able to take that vulnerability that you thought was benign and actually exploit it to a point where they are accessing really important data. And so I think it's important regardless of who you are, what entity you're in, to actually employ um, ethical hackers to an extent. Obviously, it's not something everybody has to have on their particular um, employee roles. However, you need to hire them for perhaps maybe testing once a year, maybe every other year. Um, Depending upon the importance of your information, really depends upon how important it is to hire them and to get their reports. Yeah. For our listeners, could you define attack surface for us? Sure. So um, attack surface really is any area on the computer or your network that somebody could possibly um, hack into or get into. So it could be services that are running on your server or your computers. It could be that you haven't updated your browser on a web server or your own computer. You haven't done the latest patches. So any possible area where somebody could find a vulnerability, something that um, they can get into and then move in different directions and try to access what they want to access, or maybe even infect your computers with malware. So that is um, an attack surface. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Especially too, I mean, I had brought up sort of the fact that you do teach an ethical hacking course at USM as well. And on top of other avenues of how to get into ethical hacking, but kind of what, and especially some online resources and such, um, what kind of do you think would be the best method? So, you know, for anyone listening here, they want to get into ethical hacking, uh, you know, what would be their best approach to get into it? So what I would say is um, I would definitely recommend getting a degree in it and taking classes in it. I do think that it's really imperative, though, that you engage in extra activities as well. You know, the Husky Hackers for us, other schools have cyber defense teams as well. Um, Anytime you can do capture the flag challenges uh, where you go in and actually look for certain things on computers or networks. Uh, Those are usually housed um, by other businesses and many of them are free. Um, Anytime you can gain experience like that or through internships, uh, anytime you can network with other people. Um, So we have an organization called DC 207, which is a local group of people that are focused on ethical hacking and security. Those are people that are actually in the field in different uh, positions for different businesses. And you get to work with them, network with them. So when positions become open, they know your skills, they kind of know your history, and they they can actually give you advice on what to put on resumes, on uh, things you might want to look at and brush up on. So I think that it's invaluable to network. I think it's invaluable to um, take classes and kind of go into those extra activities. You know, there's a lot of online resources that allow you to do that. So try Hack Me, um, Cybrary, 
Uh, YouTube actually has a channel called uh, Sec Tools or Security Tools or Security Tube. I can't quite remember what it is, but um, there are many, many different places out there where you can practice. Right? And that practice just builds your knowledge of tools and it also builds your confidence, which I think is important. We know that you talked a lot about Hacksky Hackers and we talked about it in a past podcast and that you were really involved in the Husky Hackers Club as a coach, helping students finding uh, competitions to work on and helping students to just get in the club and, and get people hacking. So could you talk to us more about the Husky Hackers and how the whole thing works? Sure. Um, the Husky Hackers is um, USM's Cyber Defense Club. This semester, they have actually met quite frequently. They meet uh, usually twice a week. And really the focus is for them to be able to discuss security-related issues, to have presenters, to um, get mentors outside of USM. So some of the coaches are, are not um, faculty at USM. They get to practice in competitions. So they have capture the flag competitions, and we actually are the only team from Maine in the Cyberforce Challenge. So that is something that practices um, soft skills as well as red and blue team competitions. So red team is usually an attack team and blue team is a defense team. Um, students can be a, as involved as they would like. So you can actually come and just practice and not participate in any of the competitions. Uh, this semester, we were able to get everybody um, the opportunity to have practice and games uh, in the National Cyber League competitions. So some students will only practice and not enter into any games, and others will be uh, practicing and in both individual and team games. So I think the Husky Hackers uh, and the competitions are really great ways to gain experience. Uh, that's relevant to the positions that you may be seeking after graduation. Uh, they're experiences that are great for your resumes, and they solidify your knowledge while also helping build your confidence in the field. But could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some common tools you might see people using? Um, so, you know, hey, if you suddenly are like, you're in a Starbucks and you suddenly see someone using some weird mysterious software, oh, wait, is that a hacker? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So some common tools. So the ones that we see a lot are things like Burp Suite. And that really is a web vulnerability scanner. So that lets us know if there is a potential for somebody to attack a particular area of our our website. Um, Kane and Able is a password cracker that's utilized a lot. We have things like Nmap for mapping networks. So it's always good for um, someone who wants to get into your network to know your IP schemes, to find out as much about computers on your network, to maybe even probe for ports and things like that to see what's open. Uh, Metasploit is something that is definitely used as well. So that really is once they've actually gotten into your system, this is what they can use to develop and execute um, codes and exploits on your machine. That's just a few of them. Um, th there are many, many. And I think that people really end up uh, getting comfortable with a few of them. 
Um, I think as ethical hackers, uh, you'll get your go-tos, and then I think you'll have some that you probably aren't as skilled with, but they're your go-tos for certain things. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we're going to move into our from the headlines section. Um, and so we're kind of, this is a little bit of an older article, but it's definitely covering a very important topic to talk about, but it's ta- ransomware as a service. So as uh, we are talking about ransomware, um, could you actually define what ransomware is? Yeah, ransomware really is um, software that is um, designed, or I should say malware really, to block access to your computer and your information. And so until you are ready to pay um, the the threat actor, you don't have access to your information. So many times that is uh, encrypted. And so you may be able to look at it, but you don't have the decryption keys in order to make sense of what your information um, is. And so... Uh, from the article, it says that clients of RAAS providers pay a monthly fee, typically in cryptocurrency, for advice and assistance, sometimes including around-the-clock support that covers technical aspects of an attack and matters such as negotiation with a victim. Um, and so, kind of, why do you think kind of a big part about this is dangerous? I guess with ransomware as a service, that yeah, I can see why that's very dangerous. Um, but I mean, why do you think particularly? Do you think that's going to be growing? Yeah, well, I think that um, ransomware as a service has actually removed one of the things that security officers had going for us, right? It removed the number of people that are capable of actually attacking us in that manner, right? It used to be that in order to execute ransomware, someone used to have to have some technical knowledge, right? And, and skill in order to do that. Now with ransomware for a service, they actually just have to pay for the service. They don't have to know much about technology. And so you have many more people, you know, obviously anyone who wants to pay for that uh, to attack somebody. So that's probably thousands or tens of thousands more people and more attacks that are out there. So it's a it's a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, if there's something that we can do to um, halt that, that would be the best thing ever. Uh, the problem is partly that they usually end up housing these um, on the dark web and in countries where there are no laws or very limited laws. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a big thing and it's going to continue to be a way that we're attacked. Yeah, absolutely. Could you just define us uh, about what the dark web is? I think it is probably kind of a little self-explanatory with its term, but. Um... Yeah. The dark web is uh, a portion of the internet um, where bad things happen. So Um, If you have your identity stolen and things like that, many times you'll find the credit cards are online and the dark web and people who are going into those areas um, can purchase your, your ID. They can purchase your credit cards for very minimal amounts, you know, $5 here or there uh, gets them a card that they can use. Yeah. And I guess something else, at least when I, you know, was getting familiar with these topics. Um, 
at the time, you know, typically these dark web sites are part of a greater deep web, which deep web is just kind of sites that aren't listed through your normal search engine. You know, typically you're going to be using something like a Tor browser or something to find those links. And usually, usually it's a much, much more difficult to find them. But once you do, obviously, then that's where those kinds of things happen. You know, it would be good to note that, you know, the government does have people that are on the dark web. Um, looking at things and um, trying to hunt down uh, all of these uh, cyber criminals. However, you know, it, there's so many out there that, that I don't think that we even really tip the iceberg on it. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a deep, deep web. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on to the next question. Um, you think ransomware as a service will continue to be a trend in cybersecurity? I do. You know, unless we find a way to knock off those top groups uh, that are hosting these services, then it's going to be very hard. Um, as many of them, like I said before, are set up in other countries that really have limited, if any, laws uh, restricting their actions. Yeah, I mean, as that grows you know as sort of just in general which i just i think it'd be safe to assume that just in general not just ransomware but just any sort of malware as a service would was probably going to grow and so do you think it is likely that government agencies will be looking to hire ethical hackers to test their systems in the future due to this oh absolutely absolutely you know i think it's over a million jobs that um are really going to be open um for cybersecurity people, um, ethical hackers are part of that kind of genre. And, you know, I, I think that um, somehow we need to um, have, whether it's government regulations or not, we need to have um, rules so that we actually have organizations uh, f- not forced to, but regulated to have ethical hackers test their networks on. Um, a routine basis, right? Um, We need them to thoroughly attack because, again, like I said previously, as an IT professional, you may accept a particular vulnerability, but that can be exploited in ways that you or your experience has don't have the knowledge of. And so ethical hackers are definitely going to be out there hired by not only government agencies, but they're also hired by private entities as well. Going back a little on ransomware, how do you think um, ethical hacker could potentially prevent a ransomware attack? Well, I think that really what they're going to prevent is they're going to prevent um, known vulnerabilities on your network. Um, so if we look at ransomware in particular, if we look at you know um, things that have happened recently, we will see you know the Uber attack, um, American Airlines perhaps, those all occurred, and they were able to be put into place because of employees, right? And the human nature of those, and so I think that in order to truly protect from ransomware um, and any type of attack, really is to go back to the basics. Train our employees. Um, know where your data is. Monitor your networks. Utilize um, human monitoring 
and technological monitoring, you know, with software. Um, continue to educate your security employees so that they actually know the latest and greatest ways that people are attacking. Right? Make sure that we're testing for vulnerabilities and hiring ethical hackers, right? So we can look for vulnerabilities and look for ways that they can be exploited. Um, look for solid incident response plans, right? Again, many of them come across via something like phishing or other social engineering. Education of, of your employees and your staff is imperative and continued education. You know, if we're talking about phishing specifically, make sure you test your people, which means educate them and then send out emails that actually um, have them perhaps respond and then use those responses as training and information for them so that they are no longer tricked into um, accepting or clicking on links that then lead to this uh, malware ransomware, any other vulnerability um, being exploited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are running uh, we are running out of time now. So um, I guess I just wanted to ask you, are there any last kind of final thoughts or things you'd want to tell uh, the public before we end off this episode? Yeah, I, I think I would just like to say, first of all, thank you to you guys for having me on. Um, and I would say that... Um, Ethical hacking um, and cybersecurity just in general is a, a growing field. Uh, it's an extremely important field. And there are many, many jobs and not enough people. And it's um, extremely important. So I would encourage people, if you're interested in uh, security and cybersecurity, ethical hacking, to um, take some classes, jump online and play some of those CTF games, see if it's for you. Um, and always protect yourself and um, go back to the basics. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, once again, we are here with Ashley Hayes, who's a lecturer at USM and the Department of Technology and is also a coach with the Husky Hackers. Thank you so much. <laughs>